It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway. Well, hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are and what time you're listening to the show. Welcome to the Speedway Show. The topic today is one that I felt compelled to address because it has filled the airways and social media as Americans and many people outside the U.S. have chimed in with their opinions. The case of the late Trayvon Martin has ignited a discussion about race in America that comes up every time a case like this happens. And just as a matter of observation... While the discussion is heated and squarely focused on racial inequality in the United States, I do think it's worth mentioning that the opinions and the people who oppose the verdict are not all of the same race. In other words, if you look at the makeup of the people who have rallied and marched and protested and who have sounded off at the various uh, stages of this case, they are not all just black people. And I think that is as it should be because inequality is an issue for all of us to address. And this, by the way, is consistent throughout the history of the American Civil Rights Movement. You may remember from your history books and from general knowledge that Abraham Lincoln got the 13th Amendment uh, passed in an all-white male Congress. If you look at the photos, you will notice that both blacks and whites marched with Martin Luther King and supported the civil rights movement. So all that to say, I am hopeful that you, my listeners, will not fan the flames of the negative racial divide that always seems to follow cases like these. Particularly for those of you outside the U.S. who might be wondering what this case is all about, in a nutshell, in February 2012, Trayvon Martin, a 17-year-old unarmed African-American boy, was shot to death by an armed Hispanic man, George Zimmerman, who attacked Martin in a Florida neighborhood after reporting to the police that Martin looked suspicious. In Zimmerman's own words, he said, and I quote, this guy looks like he's up to no good or he's on drugs or something. It's raining and he's just walking around. He told this to a 911 operator who told Zimmerman not to follow Martin. Zimmerman followed him anyway. An argument ensued and Martin ended up dead. The police initially didn't charge Zimmerman, apparently believing his story that he shot Martin in self-defense. Rallies and protests ensued, and about six weeks after the killing, Zimmerman was charged and, to the surprise of many, ultimately acquitted of both manslaughter and second-degree murder. This case has unleashed a heated debate across the U.S., over racial profiling, self-defense, and equal justice, among many other related topics. All media has exploded with comments, worries, fears, debates, and downright fights 
over the Trayvon Martin verdict. Artists like uh, Beyonce, Jay-Z, Stevie Wonder, and many, many others, Kim Kardashian, had things to say. They they tweeted about it, and they joined rallies, and they marched in commemoration of Trayvon Martin. There are some significant things that have been said about this case by, um, well, a lot of people, actually, but just to name a few. President Obama said, and I quote, Trayvon Martin could have been me 35 years ago, said he. Trayvon's mother, Sabrina Fulton, said Trayvon was a child, and I think sometimes it gets lost in the shuffle because as I sat in the courtroom, it made me think that they were talking about another man, Ms. Fulton said, and it wasn't. It was a child. Those were her words. Addressing a rally outside the federal courthouse in Miami, Trayvon's dad, Tracy Martin, said, I vowed to Trayvon when he was lying in his casket that I would use every ounce of energy in my body to seek justice for him. Meanwhile, George Zimmerman's lawyer, Mark O'Mara, said, We're ecstatic with the results. George Zimmerman was never guilty of anything except protecting himself in self-defense. A uh, gentleman who was interviewed about the story said, He killed somebody and he got away with murder. Many of you have echoed similar sentiments and fears for your children. The question that this caused me to ask my Facebook friends and fans, uh, and the big question I wanted to deal with today is, so what can you do about it? Why does it matter? Because at the end of the day, you don't want to have this be a flash in the pan. Something profound happened in American history, there was an outcry about it, and then at the end of all of the talk and the rhetoric and the debate, everybody just sort of goes on their merry ways and continues their life. That would be a tragedy. So the question, this is why I asked the question, what are you going to do about it so that something positive can come from this particular case? Now, before we get into that, you might be wondering, as some people have, what I personally think about this case. So I thought, well, I'm going to tell you. And I have to confess that a a large part of my view is shaped by the fact that I am a lawyer. And I did criminal defense law for the first five years of my career. And the one thing that I know and know for sure is that in all of the years of my practice, no matter the outcome of a jury trial, my consistent experience and observation based on interviewing jurors about their deliberations after a verdict, as well as watching them deliberate during mock trial exercises, I am of the firm belief that jurors in any case take their responsibility to render the right verdict very, very seriously. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I've heard jurors talk about this, and if you ever, even if you, if you listen to jurors talk after high-profile cases, you will hear uh, the agonizing that went into the verdict because what they understand 
is that whatever the outcome, it is going to have an impact, a profound impact on the people that are involved in that case. So if it's a criminal case, what they well understand is that if we make a decision to convict, it means that somebody is going to prison, um, and they, of course, don't get to control how long that is. If they acquit, it means that the victim's family is going to feel like justice was not done, and they take that very seriously. So that is one of the things that quite quite honestly shapes a lot of my view. Whether I agree with the verdict or not, I have heard um, jurors from the Martin case talk about the fact that they rendered what they believed to be the right verdict in light of the constraints of the evidence and the instructions they were given. And I believe that that's true. They rendered what they felt was the right verdict. Having said that, I don't agree with the verdict itself because, in my opinion, there is something inherently wrong with the picture when an adult armed aggressor profiles and kills a teenager because, by Zimmerman's own words, he was walking around in the rain. And then after having killed the the aggressor, having killed the boy, uh, he then successfully, you know, essentially claims, you know, self-defense. Uh, there's just something counterintuitive and fundamentally unfair about that outcome. But I wasn't on the jury, and and quite honestly, you know, I listened to snippets of the case on the news, but you know, I did not follow every single bit of evidence that was uh, rendered. I do think it's ironic, though, that he was acquitted in light of the fact that in the very beginning he wasn't charged to begin with. And part of the impression that I got was that actually the prosecution didn't charge him because they didn't feel they had sufficient evidence. And one of the things that it took them those six weeks to do was to try and put together enough evidence to actually you know, charge the guy with something. And I've had some of my friends who have said, well, that was because the police didn't do their job. They did not, uh, they just took him at his word. So they didn't um, really pay attention to the crime scene the way they should have. They didn't really get on it. They didn't really preserve the evidence as early as they should have. And so by the time the charges rolled around, uh, the case had already been botched. So it's, it's, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting and, and unusual kind of situation. One of the legal issues at the heart of this case is Florida's stand-your-ground law, which allows a person to use reasonable force to defend himself without any requirement to evade or retreat from a dangerous situation. Analyzing that topic would take a whole other show, so I'm not going to get into it today. But tune in next week when I will look at the stand-your-ground laws because Florida isn't the only state that has one of those. On a related note, many of you uh, have probably by now watched President Obama's address in the wake of the verdict, but if you did not, I urge you to do so because I thought he did a most eloquent job of articulating why this verdict is such a painful one, particularly for African Americans in this country. I cannot begin to do that question justice, and so I was quite happy that he explained it so well because I was able to incorporate that into this episode. 
You will find a link to his address on my Facebook fan page, um, facebook.com slash The Spiway Show. I encourage you to join the fan page because over the course of the week before a particular show airs, I send out um, articles and information uh, that bears the same topic, and uh, oftentimes those articles and information are ultimately posted on the flagship website, www.thespeedwayshow.com or uh, www.speedway.com, same place. And uh, so you can check out the president's address, among other things. Now we turn to the question of what can you do? In President Obama's address, he made five suggestions for what you can do. And uh, these were his suggestions. Number one, work with your state and local government. Number two, examine state and local laws to see if they encourage the kinds of altercation that happened. Number three, uh, how do we bolster uh, and positively reinforce our African-American boys? What can we do to demonstrate that our country values and supports them? That was a question that he encouraged all of us to ponder and uh, think about how we address that question. Number four, we should all do some soul-searching about our own biases and our own prejudices. And number five, he said, you know, remember that things are getting better, which is, um, I think, a, a hopeful note on which to end uh, that, that, that list. As you can see from the title of the show, I have 19 suggestions for things you can do. I I, I agree, by the way, with all of the things that he recommended. And I have uh, divided my 19 things into three categories. There are uh, political things that you can do. There are spiritual things that you can do. And then there are social things that you can do. And I will tackle them in that order. So we're going to start with the first thing. Register to vote. Why should you register to vote? Some of you know the answer to this. Register to vote because jurors are selected from voter registration polls. If you are not sure if you're eligible to vote, you first have to be a U.S. citizen. That is the one thing that everybody who gets to vote has to be. You've got to be a U.S. citizen. If you have a criminal record, because sometimes that stops a lot of people from voting, if you have a criminal record, you may still be able to vote, uh, depending on the nature of the crime, the status of the crime, uh, the state in which you live. For a full discussion about that, I would encourage you to check out the show I did called Who Can Vote Anyway? That show aired on October 14th of 2012, but I will include a link to that show on the posting for this episode on Speedway.com. That takes us to the second thing that you can do. If you are called, be willing to serve on jury duty. I have seen jurors, and I told you I did you know, five years of criminal defense work, and I did civil um, litigation as well. But I have seen jurors try to get out of jury duty because they're busy, they don't want to take time out of their lives, and so on. If you are called to serve, don't try to get out of it. On any case, the jury is only as good as the jury pool. So, you know, I personally would not 
um, I'm not a proponent of criticizing the makeup of the jury because, first of all, it consists of the people in that county who uh, were on the voter registration polls, and then you have to be called. You can't volunteer. You have to be called. But ultimately, both the prosecution and the defense in a criminal case uh, and the uh, in a civil case, the plaintiff and the defendant's lawyers, agree ultimately, and they have the same opportunities to kick people off that they think are biased. And so, um, you know, it's it's really not that when, you know, a lot of times when a verdict comes out that somebody doesn't like the first one, if the first things they do is they attack the jury or they attack the makeup of the jury. And so, you know, I think not enough people understand how juries are selected and the fact that we all have a role to play. Now, you may register to vote, and you may never be selected to, um, or you may never be called uh, for jury duty. And if you are called, you may not necessarily be selected to actually ultimately be on a jury. But do your part to make yourself available for that process. Thing number three. Attorney General Eric Holder has come out in opposition to Stand Your Ground laws. In addition to Florida, there are 21 states that have similar laws, and if you're wondering what they are, tune in next week. And these laws make it easier for individuals to successfully plead self-defense. I encourage you to visit the posting for this show on speedway.com and see if your state has a Stand Your Ground law and be familiar with what it says. The reason why I say that is because actually different states may have laws that are called stand-your-ground laws, but actually what those laws say can vary quite a bit. They may be similar in some respects, but they may vary in some very critical aspects. So it's not enough just to say, well, I know generally what the Florida one says, so my state must say the same because it has a similar law. That's not necessarily true. So be familiar. Um, This takes us to thing number four. Read the law for yourself. There is a lot of talk in the media about Florida's stand-your-ground law, but do you actually know what it says? Often, I find that when reporters talk about laws, they often pick a portion of it, and uh, usually it's you know the relevant portion for whatever they're saying. Uh, so whether they be you know people who are talking on the news or you know stories that are written. They usually don't publish the entire law, and they sometimes don't even report it verbatim. So it is a very, very good idea for you to go and read such laws yourself before you take a position, because sometimes the context that you hear on the news or the context that you might hear from other people may not be quite right. I was actually quite fascinated by the fact that if you listen to the legislatures in Florida, they have no intention of repealing the Stand Your Ground law. And so you have to ask yourself, well, gee, um, if it's such a horrible law, how come it is that uh, the legislature in Florida uh, doesn't want to repeal it? And let's just assume for a moment that the primary answer is not, well, because they're racist and they want to kill off a whole lot of black people. So if that's not the answer, then then what is there to defend about this law? Um, there's a lot, actually, that, that Florida law says, when I read it, that actually makes a lot of sense. 
So don't get caught up in the frenzy of rhetoric. Read a law for yourself before you take a position so that you fully understand and have your own well-informed opinion because we must first be well-informed before we can advocate for the change we want to see. Thing number five, participate in the legislative process. Often, when a bill or resolution is proposed, there is a period of uh, public comment. Keep up with issues and make your comments known so that all views can be taken into account before the bill becomes law. Some of you may work for companies that have PACs, political action committees, and these PACs oftentimes are organized and uh, made available to employees so that they can participate and be aware of and advocate for the laws that would benefit the company that they work for. So, for example, if uh, I work for a medical device company, then perhaps uh, I may or my company may have a position to take with regard to the medical device tax. Or we might advocate for uh, safety, the, the adoption of increased safety measures to keep uh, nurses and doctors, particularly nurses, safe uh, when they uh, use certain devices that are commonly known to cause injuries. So these are the kinds of things that you get to have a say in when you participate in the legislative process. Be familiar. There will be links, uh, particularly next week when I when I deal with the standard ground law. There there are places you can go on the web where you can keep track of the upcoming bills and laws. There are actually thousands, tens of thousands of bills every year that are introduced for consideration into the House of the Senate or um, for consideration that actually are never passed. And then there are, there's a very small number, percentage of ones that are passed, but these kinds of things are good for you to know. And by the way, even at the local level, there are, when city ordinances are going to be passed, when new regulations are going to be passed by cities, by counties, by municipalities, oftentimes they will also invite public comment. So it's not just the state and the federal laws that you should be getting involved in, particularly at the local level, there may be some things that you might actually find very worthy to participate in because they might impact you even more than the state and the federal laws. Thing number six, you might have been surprised. This gets us into the spiritual stuff. So those, those first five things were the um, political things that you can do. But in terms of spiritual things, you might have been surprised by the verdict, but God was not. So pray that some good comes from this verdict. And so to the extent that you have a spiritual bone in your body, ask your father to make sure that some good things come out of this verdict. There's one that I can think of that already has, and we'll talk about that later. Um, that takes us to thing number seven. When the verdict came out, Trayvon's mother, Sabrina Fulton, tweeted, Lord, during my darkest hour, I lean on you. You are all that I have. At the end of the day, God is still in control. Thank you for all your prayers and support. I will love you forever, Trayvon. In the name of Jesus. 
I recommend that all of you follow her example. Not only did she pray, but she also expressed even on the death of her son that she still knew and walked in faith because God was still in control. And I think, you know, it's one thing for people to have great faith when things are going well. I think it is particularly noteworthy when people have great faith and can express it in the midst of their grief and in the midst of horrible things that happen. So um, that, I thought, was exemplary. So follow her example and pray. Pray for our country. Pray for your country if you're not in the United States. Pray for the emotional, physical, and spiritual health of our children. Pray for the racial divide that seems to rupture every time a case like this comes along. In my opinion, it has never actually been healed, which is why it surfaces over and over and over. Thing number eight. The Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. So if you are not in love with the Lord today, fall in love with the Lord and pray that good comes of this. And while we're on that topic, don't just do it for this case, but for everything that happens in your life as well. So those are the spiritual things that you can do. Now we get to the social things, and uh, I think I've got, uh, what, like 10 social things that you can do. Thing number nine. Accept that the hurt is real. Listen to President Obama's explanation of it and accept that it is real. Whether you are black, white, brown, yellow, or of some other race or ethnicity, denial is not an excuse to turn a blind eye to the long history of racial disparity that has plagued the United States for hundreds of years. Has progress been made? Absolutely. But systemic, endemic racial issues still plague us today, and it is important to understand them because when you see the negative reactions, the riots, the rallies, the marches, in verdicts like this, that is a statement not just about the case itself but about the history of unfairness that continues to surface over and over through cases like this. So don't belittle, minimize, or discount the fact that the hurt that is expressed is real. I remember watching a woman who uh, lived in uh, Iowa. I don't know. I, you know, she might still live there now. But um, I remember that she did a show. Uh, she did. Uh, she does a workshop actually, and um, she goes around to corporate. Oftentimes, corporations hire her in order to help them with. Um, classes to eliminate racial bias. And um, she, one of the first things that uh, she sometimes does is she'll walk into an auditorium filled with mostly one employee, uh, white employees. Her name, I believe, is Jane Elliott. And uh, she, does this, um, she does this exercise called uh, Blue Eyes, Brown Eyes. And one of the one of the things that I thought was really interesting was she walked into this auditorium, and she said to the audience, 
Um, and 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 Jane Elliott is is a Caucasian woman. She's a white lady. She I think she was born and grew up in Iowa. And she walks in and she says, "Okay, I want all the white people to raise your hand if you would like to be black." And not once has she ever, ever had a white person raise their hand and volunteer to be black. And in the in the very uncomfortable silence that follows the question, she then says. So you know, you know what it means to be black in America. You know that you are in a position of superiority. And she goes on and on and on. And, you know, as you can imagine, she ticks off many, many people. But I thought it was an interesting, and she's very confrontational, um, and uh, I thought it was just a very interesting take on it, because if you ask most people, you know, I think most people would like to say, oh, everything's fair, and I don't think there's really a race issue here, and and she just hit it head on when she asked that question. And so all that to say, let's not pretend that it ain't real, because it is. The hurt is real. Accept it. Thing number 10. <laughs> Report crime when you see it. Too often, criminal acts happen and no one is willing to report it, or when it does happen, no one is willing to intervene. In October 2009 in California, I remember reading a uh, newspaper article where police reported that up to 20 people watched a gang rape of a 15-year-old girl by 10 boys in the back alley outside a high school homecoming dance. The rape went on for more than two and a half hours. At least 10 people stood around and watched without calling, 911 to, uh, without calling 911 to report it. Some witnesses took photos and other witnesses just laughed while this 15-year-old girl was being raped by 10 guys. We have all seen news stories of videos, shocking videos that turn up on YouTube of high school and college kids committing all kinds of crimes while their buddies guffaw and laugh and do nothing. Don't you be one of those people. Report crime when you see it, and if you can intervene safely, then intervene safely. Like, for example, if you've got, you know, one of your guy friends is uh, looks like he's taking advantage of a girl who is obviously too drunk and too out of it. I do remember seeing that video. It was like a frat house, and there's these, there are these frat boys, and one of them appeared to be sort of manhandling this girl who looked like she was passed out. And uh, the buddies just kind of laughed and giggled and watched. In that situation, any one of those guys could have safely intervened and said, look, man, that's not cool. You need to stop and take that girl home. But they didn't. So that's an example of when intervention can be done safely. The Probably the most famous case that I'm aware of, of a crime that was committed where nobody reported was the case of Catherine Susan Genovese, or I think they called her Kitty. Um, Catherine was stabbed to death near her home in the Kew Gardens neighborhood of the borough of Queens in New York on March 13, 1964. Initial reports claimed that 38 people saw the crime being committed but didn't call the police. This claim was actually subsequently disputed, but it does make the point that sometimes crime can happen in the view of multiple witnesses and either no one reports it or witnesses are unwilling to talk when the police come to investigate. 
Some of you may have seen a very interesting show that is airing on television these days called What Would You Do? And in this television show, they um, the producers intentionally create provocative social situations and they look at the reaction of the audience. So the last uh, commercial that I remember when it was being advertised, they they had a man, a white man, um, kind of casing a parking lot looking for you know cars to break into, and they looked and 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 tried to see how many people would actually either report him or stop him, and you know astoundingly and perhaps not surprisingly, nobody did a thing. Those are examples. This takes us to thing 11. There's always education. And my encouragement to you is to think outside the box about what education can look like. Because I'm not talking about going to school, sitting down, and getting a formal education. Education can take many forms, and much of it has nothing to do with what children learn in the classroom. Educate yourself about the kinds of things that are going on with your children. Spend time listening to your kids and their friends talk and you'll hear conversations that create opportunities to teach about everything from moral values and cultural differences. A lot of times, you know, I am a soccer mom. My my 11-year-old plays soccer, and um, both of my girls are in gymnastics and, you know, they do all sorts of other social things, birthday parties and such. And you get a group of girls in the back of your car, uh, shuttling them from one place to the other, and you just listen to the kinds of stuff that they talk about. Or you listen to them talk to each other uh, when they're sitting around the table eating cake at the birthday party, and you will be sometimes perhaps fascinated, sometimes horrified, sometimes stunned and amazed by the kinds of things that you hear. Um, I will say this particularly for people of color. You have opportunities to educate in many different forums. Sometimes your simply turning up creates educational opportunities. Um, many of you know that I happened to have a Harley-Davidson uh, motorcycle, and for those of you who care, it was an 883 Sportster. And um, my motorcycle, I loved it very much. His, uh, he actually had a name. His name was Barry. That was my motorcycle. And uh, one of the interesting things about riding a Harley-Davidson is that it turned out to be actually a very educational uh, opportunity for me and a lot of other riders. Because when I went riding on my Harley-Davidson uh, on Barry, most of the riders that I encountered had never seen a cute, sexy, black woman on a motorcycle. Wow! It's true. And um, I did not know that some of those, you know, sometimes big, hairy, scary-looking dudes could be so <laughs> polite and gentle and helpful. And it was all, all often enlightening for all of us. So that was an educational opportunity for, you know, for both races that, you know, we didn't, didn't anticipate, didn't expect. It wasn't a, a, a verbal teaching moment, but, you know, I think many of us actually came away kind of changed. 
Um, regardless of race, educate your children on how to behave if they get stopped by the police. For instance, in a traffic stop. Don't be belligerent and throw the do you know who my parents are card because that may be the fastest way to get charged with any one of various crimes. This is something that actress Reese Witherspoon discovered when she was arrested in May of this year for yelling at the officers, refusing to cooperate and playing the do you know who I am card after she and her husband were stopped because they were driving drunk. So know what to do and what not to do when you are stopped by the police. Even if you are ultimately arrested, you know, there are ways that you can aggravate that whole process and rack up a bunch of charges in the process. Um, the, the last thing I will say, and all of this is related to education, the last thing I will say is that, uh, you know, a lot of times people have talked about the diversity issues in terms of tolerance. But actually, I don't think what we seek is tolerance, and I would encourage you to think about this and educate yourself in a different way. I don't think what we seek is tolerance. Um, acceptance and a celebration and appreciation of the differences that we have between cultures that make us interesting, dynamic, and enrich us as a whole, I think that is what we should be looking for. Because tolerance makes it sound like, you know, I really don't want you to be here, but I'm going to tolerate the fact that you are. Whereas when you accept someone of a different culture, when you accept and celebrate that, hey, you've got really good things about your culture that make it unique and that I appreciate and that I exalt and, 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 and admire because, you know, perhaps there are things that give you a richer context than some aspects of my culture, that is how we should be seeking to approach each other. Thing 12. Support the Trayvon Martin Foundation. This is that one thing that I told you when I said earlier something good has already come from this. The creation of that foundation is good that has come from this situation because obviously, you know, Trayvon Martin's parents would never have thought to start a foundation for their child had this not happened. You will find a link to the foundation on the posting for this episode at speedway.com or the speedwayshow.com. Established by Trayvon's mom and dad, the foundation's purpose is to create awareness of how violent crime impacts the families of the victims and to provide support and advocacy for those families. The foundation's mission is to advocate that crime victims and their families not be ignored in the discussions about violent crimes, to increase public awareness of all forms of racial, ethnic, and gender profiling, educate youth on conflict resolution techniques, and to reduce the incidences where confrontations between strangers turn deadly. I would recommend that you support this foundation, get on the web, learn more about it, find out the ways that you can participate in what is uh, what it is uh, endeavoring to do. And uh, that's one thing that you can do right now to be of help. Thing 13, participate in marches and rallies and let your voice be heard. So, for example, on Saturday, July the 20th, thousands of peaceful demonstrators gathered outside federal buildings in dozens of cities across the United States to commemorate Trayvon Martin. Famous celebrities like 
Beyonce, Stevie Wonder, Lena Dunham, Russell Simmons, Deborah Messing, Mandy Moore, Michael Moore, Miley Cyrus, Nicki Minaj, John Legend, Olivia Wilde, Jay-Z, either joined the outcry or marched in memory of the young boy who was gunned down. That is something that you can also do. The National Bar Association has also organized a number of rallies and functions that uh, people can participate in. I will um, also have a link to the National Bar Association website, and you can learn about it. Bar associations, generally, if you hear somebody talking about a bar association, it's not a an association of people who like to go to bars and get drunk. It is usually a legal organization that usually consists of lawyers, judges, people in the legal field who come together as um, as a body, and they accomplish a wide variety of educational, social, and other activities. So that is uh, the National Bar Association. And actually, the National Bar Association is the oldest black bar association in the United States. started in, of all places, Iowa, because as I understood the story when I lived in Iowa, the black lawyers at that time were denied access to joining the American Bar Association, so they had to start their own. And the National Bar Association has um, flourished ever since. It's not just limited to black lawyers, but it is um, particularly aimed at addressing issues that are uh, pertinent to black lawyers, the black bar, and the black community. Thing 14, join your neighborhood watch group. Part of George Zimmerman's backstory was that he was the neighborhood watch coordinator and he was frustrated by burglaries and attempted burglaries in his neighborhood. He denies, um, you know, I'd say he denies, of course, but he denies that his actions on the night that he encountered Trayvon were in any way racially motivated. Um, Joining your neighborhood watch group creates opportunities to participate in the decisions and the process used to monitor activities. It is also, again, an educational opportunity. Thing 15, commit to seeing beyond skin color. The one you save may be your own child. The best lesson in how to see people through loving eyes that I got actually had nothing to do with race, but you may find it helpful, so I'll tell you anyway. When I started practicing law 20 years ago, I wasn't, you know, clients were clients, right? So they'd walk in and there were clients with problems, and sometimes, you know, I was happy to see them. Sometimes it was just kind of a bother because their issues were just kind of silly stuff sometimes. And, you know, I'd sit there and I'd think, well, how did you get yourself into that pickle, you know? Um, But... I received a bit of advice from a mentor of mine back then, and what she said to me was, don't view clients as clients, view them as your family members. In other words, uh, if a man or woman walks in who is my age, I should view that person as my sister or brother. If it was an older client, I should view them as my mother or my dad or my uncle, my aunt, my cousin, and so on. The reason was to... Basically, the the logic was, how would you treat your mother? 
if she walked into the office with whatever problem that needed to be addressed. And I found this approach actually to be very effective because when I was sitting there just looking at some client, I had a lower level of empathy toward that client than I did when I was thinking to myself, okay, so if this was my dad sitting here, how would I treat him? How would I talk to him? How would I respond to what he is telling me? And what are the kinds of things that I would ask? So I encourage you to take the same approach to everyone you meet, regardless of race. If George Zimmerman had approached Trayvon Martin as his son or younger brother, I bet you anything, that entire encounter would have gone very, very differently. Thing 16. The president said, remember that things are getting better. And generally, I certainly believe that that is true. Remember also that the United States is not unique in its struggles for equality of its people. And around the globe, there are many countries that struggle for equality. And even if race is not the underlying factor, there's always something. For example, in many countries, there are disparity issues based on tribe. The tribe that you come from may determine whether you have a shot at holding a government position. It may determine how much access you have to good jobs and financial opportunity and economic success. In um, and if, if, you, if you can't think of any place like that, remember the civil war in Rwanda between the Hutus and the Tutsis? All of them were black. And um, to those of us who were not Hutu and Tutsis, you know, they look the same to me. And so I was thinking, well, how can you even tell who's a Hutu and a Tutsi? But obviously they could tell. And, and so that was one example where the tribal factor was defining and it wasn't a question of black, white, yellow, orange race. In other countries, people die over differences in ethnicity or religions. We see conflict in the news all the time between the Palestinians and the Israelis. They have been fighting for a long, long time. Christians are killed today in countries like China even and uh, the Middle East and other countries just because of their belief system. In the past year, we have also seen religious violence between Muslims and Buddhists, of all people. Um, in yet other countries, the primal differentiator is economic or its caste. So, for example, India has a caste system or used to have a caste system. I think they still do. And um, the caste that you are born into defines your entire life, the level to which you can or cannot achieve professional and economic success, whom you can marry, what you can do for a living, and every other aspect of your life is defined by the caste in which you are born. So remember that the United States is not particularly unique, and perhaps it really just goes to human nature that there will always be people who seek to differentiate themselves and hold positions of power over others, and if it's not an obviously uh, differentiated characteristic, they will always find some other way to distinguish themselves and try and gain superiority. While there are calls to overhaul our jury system when cases like this happen, um, it is my view that actually 
the American jury system is still better than many countries. I remember visiting my parents in Egypt. Once upon a time, my father was a Zimbabwean ambassador to Egypt, and uh, I was I was in uh, Madi. We lived in Madi at the time, which was a suburb uh, outside of Cairo. And I picked up the paper, and I'm always interested as a lawyer in seeing what kind of you know news there is in the local papers with regard to you know crimes and laws and that sort of thing. And I was fascinated, and ultimately, having read the paper for, you know, over a week by then, I finally turned to my mother in great curiosity, and I asked her how it was that everyone who seemed to be arrested in Egypt almost immediately confessed. And uh, my mother just kind of laughed, and uh, ultimately, you know, it was because of the way that uh, the accused are treated once they are imprisoned. And um, there is absolutely huge motivation to confess in order to avoid all the stuff that is done to you when you're sitting in prison. There are still countries where the penalties for things like drunkenness and theft involve chopping off limbs. There are still countries in which the um, cost of adultery, particularly for women, is death. And so... At the end of the day, while, you know, some people may think that there is something fundamentally wrong with the American jury system, what I will say to you is take heart because there are other systems that are far, far worse than ours. This takes us to our parental things that you can do. As parents, what, what, what can you do? Thing 17. Give your children a curfew and keep them indoors at night as much as you can. I had a curfew when I was growing up. I didn't much like it, but I did. Uh, I did have it. And uh, my parents were actually very actively involved in understanding where was I going, who was I going with, how long was I going to be out. It was, um, you know, quite the annoyance when I was 16. But in hindsight, as a parent, I get why they were like that. If your kids are going out, know where they are going and with whom. Now, I used to be a teenager once, and I know that where you started off might not be where you ended up. And sometimes, you know, not with me, but certainly with my other friends, where they said they were going wasn't really where they ended up going. As parents, you cannot control every move your child makes. And actually, I'd say as they get older, you can control less and less of what they do. But stay involved and impose some rules. According to one article, there are approximately 12 million crimes committed in the United States every single year. That is by far the worst in the world. No other nation has more than about 6 million reported crimes per year, according to this article that I read. There are over 100,000 rapes in the United States every single year. That is the highest number for any of the countries in the United Nations. Every year, one out of every five people is a victim of a crime in the United States. Again, no other nation on earth has a rate that is higher. So protect your children, parents, Um, not just from, you know, your your neighbors like George Zimmerman who might be, you know, gun-toting and out to get somebody because, you know, things have happened in my neighborhood. But, you know, you protect them from 
all the ills. I mean, think about all of the times you have heard about children being abducted, and and sometimes, unfortunately, uh, we discover that actually since they've been abducted, they've been holed up in somebody's house being treated as a sex slave, as we recently discovered. Um, when those three women were uh, were uh, rescued uh, by their neighbor and and helped to freedom, and it turned out that they'd been living, you know, holed up and tied up in that house for decades, and nobody had a clue. So protect, protect, protect your children, and um, do what you can to keep them safe. Will this will keeping track of your kids assure their safety? Well, not necessarily, because we know that there are many people who are killed in their homes even, either because of altercations or accidents that occur in the home or because stray bullets enter the home. But what it will do is it will reduce the risk that your son or daughter will be mistaken for or profiled as a suspicious character or encounter a vigilante neighborhood watchman like a George Zimmerman. You might argue, why should my child have to stay indoors? And my answer to you would be, parent, do you want to feel righteous with a dead child, or do you want your child alive and in your home? Crime is a reality everywhere you go. In every country, there is crime. And uh, there may not be as many crimes, but there's certainly crime. And as parents, we should do what we can to protect our children. Did you know, for example, I read this shocking statistic a long time ago, and and it really floored me, that um, most people in the United States who purchase guns do it for self-defense and, you know, in the event that there might be an intruder in my house, but that actually 80% of guns purchased for protection end up being used against someone in the household, often accidentally. And I'm sure all of us have heard the stories about, you know, I remember watching a show where there was a a pastor whose son was away at college, and um, he thought there was an, an intruder in the basement of his home. He gets his gun, he goes out, he sees a, you know, figure uh, in the darkness, walking across his 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 kitchen floor or something, and uh, but he sees somebody and he shoots and um, shoots the person, turns on the light and discovers that his son had come home from college, and uh, was downstairs doing his laundry and uh, he didn't know, and he had been so jumpy he got this gun and he shot him, and uh, killed his son, and that wasn't an isolated incident, right? You hear stories all the time about. Little kids, you know, the four-year-old who shoots his brother dead because he finds the gun underneath the mattress, and gee whiz, it happens to be loaded, and this is the mattress in his children's bedroom, in his uh, parents' bedroom. Or, you know, lots of stories about kids who find guns in the home and kill each other with them. So all of these things suggest that as parents we really do have to be vigilant and to protect our children. Um, And don't forget that while the Martin case generated a great deal of publicity, there are kids being killed on the streets every single day across this country, and many of them are killed by other kids and other people that look just like them. So you're not just protecting your children from the vigilante neighborhood watchdogs. You are protecting them from all sorts of altercations uh, that can happen out there while they are out and about. So be careful, be mindful, and um, your goal as a parent is not to make your child happy and, you know, thrilled about the fact that you're making them stay in, 
but it is to keep them safe, alive, and to teach them to be good citizens of the world. This takes us to thing 18. Teach your children to be careful. And you can do it without making them feel afraid or inferior because of their race. If they're old enough to understand the concepts around race relations in America, then give them safety tips for how to behave. Thing number 19. Adapt a child. Every child. Just as I said earlier about being empathetic and treating people as you would your own family members that you love, right? So don't treat them like that, you know, that uncle that you hate who shows up drunk at, you know, every single uh, event that you have and you just think to yourself, oh, my gosh, that didn't show up, right? Not like that guy, but treat people as you would your family members that you actually love. Regard every child that you see as your own. You have many opportunities to help children, whether it's something really minor like helping them over uh, open a door when you can see that they're too little or not strong enough to keep it open themselves, whether it's helping a parent with her kids when she's out and obviously having trouble corralling her little toddlers. Don't roll your eyes and be mad because they're squawking, but go over there and help her. Um, but treat children as you would your own because there may be a time when your child is out there somewhere and you would wish that someone had treated your child in the same way that you would have treated your child had you been there. So those are all of the things that I would suggest to you that um, we can do and think about doing and take action in for um this particular situation. 19 things that you can do personally to create positive energy and impact from the tragedy of the Trayvon Martin case. As I said earlier, join me next week because we will be talking about uh, and unpacking the Stand Your Ground laws. Until then, this is Speedway saying go in peace and take care of one another. Thank you for joining us on The Speedway Show. Visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes. Join the fan page at facebook.com slash thespeedwayshow. And follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle thespeedwayshow. Until next week, live well, live fully, and love deeply.